उड़ जा रे बंदे उड़ जा रे बंदे बेपरवारे बंदे उड़ जा Hey there everybody and welcome back to yet another episode here on the Desi VC podcast. I'm your host Akash Bhatt and each week I bring you leading investors and founders investing and building great companies worldwide here on the show. You did not just hear that sick beat in the introduction by chance folks. Our guest today not only slays the CEO game but also crafted that beautiful song you just vibe to. Udjare is a tune meant to spark fire in dreamers, founders and go-getters worldwide to chase their passions. Let's get ready to hear from the mastermind behind the music and also somebody who's trying to transform the healthcare ecosystem in India. With me on the show today is Tushar Vashisht, the chief executive officer of Healthify Me. Healthify Me is a leading digital health and wellness platform in India. With a mission to make India healthier, Healthify Me offers a comprehensive solution for health and fitness that combines cutting-edge technology with personalized coaching. Under Tushar's leadership, the company has become a household name and has been recognized for its innovation and impact in the health tech ecosystem. Will join me over the course of the next hour or so as I sit down and speak to Tushar about his journey as an entrepreneur and all the learnings that he's had as a founder. and more importantly the generosity that he had in sharing frameworks for everybody else who wants to build community driven and wellness oriented businesses in the country i cannot wait to share this episode with you so without further ado let's head in and listen to this wonderful conversation with tushar Hi Tushar, welcome to the Desi VC podcast. I've been a long admirer of Healthify Me and the role it's played in democratizing health and wellness in India. So it's truly an honor to have you sit across from me today. I'm excited to chat all things company building with you today and take a walk down memory lane into the early days of the company. But before we go ahead, welcome to the show and how's the year been for you so far? Thanks Akash, pleasure to be on here with you. Uh the year's off to a rocking start um you know health and fitness new year resolution i think our industry is uh, is really sort of it, it wakes up and jumps up to a start um i think as 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 people do as well and uh, and and then so the first part of the year or the first month of the quarter of the year is indeed very important for us um where we where we really sort of hit um you know an orbit change growth as we like to call internally So it's been good it's been busy um and uh, it's been exciting That's fantastic busy is always great you know typically when i start the episode i think of various ways to actually take the conversation but when i meet successful entrepreneurs like yourselves i'm often drawn to just one question it's one of the things that most of our listeners are also curious and it gives a lot of inspiration to builders out there especially as budding entrepreneurs So I'm going to pose the same question to you as well. Why entrepreneurship? 
And what kind of gave you the courage to get started in the early days, especially when there's a lot of uncertainty or there was a lot of uncertainty with respect to the market and the times in which you launched the company? Such a great question, right? Um, I think it's a combination of what your um, internal DNA or motivation is combined with perhaps having the right set of people around you um, that influence your decision. Yeah. You know, I think intrinsically, you know, I've also hopefully like many of your listeners have, have been have been a problem solver and be very passionate about problem solving personally as well. Right. So um, even as a even even growing up, I'd find myself, you know, constantly trying to if I see a problem to try and solve it, you know, hustling through, um, you know, college days, uh, whether it was creating organizations in college or finding, you know, small and small SMBs, small business owners, et cetera, going out to them and offering solutions, sometimes even trying to charge for those solutions. So I guess some element of, of discovering problems and finding a solve to them was interesting for me. And I'm sure it has been for many of your uh, listeners as well. I think the, the conversion of that to trying to make it into a business was influenced a bunch by having the right advisors and influence influencers around me, you know. So when I joined back into India, I actually joined Aadhaar, a unique ID project. Um, I was a banker in Silicon Valley in Singapore. I jumped ship to join the government of India. It was a fascinating experience where we helped build, you know, the largest ID infrastructure in the world. But in that process, I met some amazing entrepreneurs, people who have successfully done it before. And having those people as role models or, or, or learning from them, et cetera, was also very pivotal in me being comfortable with taking that leap. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a combination of having a problem-solving spirit and having role models who have done it before that acts as a good motivation. Um, but, but I think, uh, you know, advice to anybody who's starting up is that it's important to be passionate about the problem, therefore, um, you know, at a meta level. Um, is this something that you personally relate with? Is this something that you see out there? Uh, that's important, far more important. In fact, perhaps the only thing that's important um, than the than say you know necessarily the expectations of financial outcomes. Right. Um, it's also helpful to have a good team around. So I met my co-founder at the Aadhaar project. We both were very passionate about the problem of health and fitness. Both had gained a lot of weight. I had gained some 20, 30 kgs just by being in India and eating the food around. She saw that this is a massive problem that everybody around the world is facing of being mm -hmm. overweight and obese. It's a generational issue. And it's something that I was relating with myself and something that I could see could be reversed by tracking my nutrition, getting a coach, doing the right things. Um, and, and figured that, you know, if, if there are definitely elements of it that can, that emerging technology can help solve. Um, so have, having a good team, having good advisors and a problem that I could relate with but yeah. perhaps three fascinating things that propelled me to start up. They say if you have a hard problem, customers will easily fund it or happily fund it. And that is true in most cases. But in your case, when you started, you know, the company, it was early days of technology. And it was a time where people perhaps did not think about, you know, technology really solving for health and wellness as such, you know, the technology that was trying to solve for a bunch of other things, especially on the consumer side, bringing infrastructurally India up to speed with the rest of the rest of the world. But in your case, in your sector is very different. You're probably one of the first out there to really go out and say, hey, you can tackle a, a huge crisis um, and a huge problem going after a huge market. 
but there are challenges that come with it you know with being one of the first movers also means that you're really educating an industry at large and you also will have a lot of doubters who will come and say maybe you're early or hey i don't think this is going to work so i'm sure you've had those early days where people were doubting you so yeah. as an entrepreneur when you go through those difficult times in the early days how do you one validate your thesis to find the conviction to keep going every single day and third most importantly i guess is really keep your eye on the eye on eye on the prize and make sure that you the team everybody around you kind of doesn't lose hope because there are a lot of you know doubters out there in the in in the industry as such i couldn't agree more lakash for anybody who's listening and man i think in the early days is such a difficult time for a startup yeah um you've got the whole world stacked against you the odds are very low the universe is kind of you know against you in a way right you because you don't have funding you don't have so you don't you can't really easily spend money to acquire users or build stuff you don't have uh, you know sometimes even before that you don't even have customers and certainly investors are always doubting yeah if you're early movers then investors will doubt whether this this thing will even ever become large um or is this really a problem and you're probably too early so as to say uh, for the market um you know if you are second or third mover then you know you've got these heavy competition who are ahead of you and you have to describe and find the reasons to convince people that you could be better um but regardless i think naysayers are a lot a failure rate is very high and i would think that i mean i think we probably had an investment success rate of 1 or 2% right you know so we used to have 98 or 97 noes uh, before anybody said yes Right. um to investing because and i think mostly they just i think half of the guys who wrote our first check were probably because this this team is so perseverant and so obsessive about what they wanting to solve and even though they probably can't articulate it let's just back it you know right. so i think most people just bet on the team at that time i don't think you can it's very hard to convince that this is a problem worthy of solving when you're the first mover and by curiously seeing it you know my wife started up just a few months ago she's trying to solve for edutainment for kids it's a company called bubble and i can see it in her side as well right there she's trying to solve audio based edutainment for children it's never been done before right. in a very in a very substantial manner so she's going through the same cycles as i was and i see this happen with many early stage founders throughout as well but but i think um once again i think there are two things that really help in that time is that do you really believe in that problem yeah indeed does your team believe in it um and fundamentally that this is game changing that this will really help your customers and and then the second piece which drives a lot of conviction especially in the early days is their for customers so you know in our dark times in the first 2 3 years of healthify when we ran out of funding for example and we couldn't raise capital for a few months uh what kept us going was that we had real users of the app thousands of them at that time who were very passionate about it who were using it very religiously and we knew that if this product was taken away from them they would be very unhappy and very sad mm-hmm. um you know all we had to do was figure out how to be monetize that which we hadn't figured out at that time and uh, and and you know staying true to them was important and i think that's what propels a lot of when i see your today i invest in a bunch of early stage companies the differentiating factor between great companies and poor companies is that the great companies have a very loyal set of passionate customers who are evangelists and who will really eventually even finance the firm if it comes to it 
right? So massive problem that you obsessively believe in and then having real users, at least if not customers, who are validating it throughout are ones that matter. Yeah. You know, VCs get it mostly wrong, right? I mean, you're a VC, you know that our success rates, I mean, the, our anti-portfolio is always better or bigger than our actual portfolio. So, right. um, and, and, and therefore, no one should benchmark with the, uh, their eventual likelihood of success with the amount of no's that you get in your, you know, seed series A round. Those are, uh, those are, uh, those are difficult ones especially if you're the first mover and especially if you're trying to first principle solve something. Right. Now, these are some fantastic points that you bring up and I couldn't agree more with you with the fact that in the early days, you know, the customers will fund it or give you like good feedback and help you grow uh, and give you that conviction. But I'll flip that question around on its head and and perhaps ask you this, how do you find those customers? Because we've got, again, a lot of early stage founders listening to the, listening to the podcast here and one of the challenges that they face and I've spoken to a few of them is that I'm trying to figure out how do I make sure that I find my right set of customers? How do I make sure that I'm getting the right feedback from them? And more importantly, how do I keep them engaged over a longer period of time? That's a product, market, GTM, marketing, everything problem put into like one big uh, mm. question there. But in your case, right, when you said, you know, you had these early thousand customers who were willing to stick around and would be affected if the app went away, how did you find those early set of customers? And was there like an aha moment that kind of like made you feel that, you know what, this is what we've been looking for and this is enough conviction for us to go out and perhaps raise funding or perhaps go out and you know add more talent to the team or just think about this as a huge problem that be getting validated on a day-to-day basis? Um, Akash, there is no one right answer right. and it is indeed a difficult problem to solve. Um, let me try to articulate in sort of maybe three different points or ways which could help um, people out there. One is that I think if you have a great product and you've truly built a very high engagement product, even for a very few set of users who could be literally friends, families, and neighbors around, it starts a very good virtuous resonant loop where they love it and then they refer people, um, you know, um, around them, mm. and and then you build for them and then they refer others. So it creates this amazing virality and first principle sort of growth where you where you reach out to people who are facing the same problems i think it's always easy to get 10 users or 10 customers that's not that hard and mm-hmm. i'm talking about from a consumer standpoint obviously b2b i'm assumably is harder but at the same time b2b is also easy to target uh, right. some the right set of customers and in the early days you know so so one element is build a great product and get referrals um you know and i think that definitely worked for us where we floated it around into the people that we knew who could utilize it and as they saw benefits as they saw results uh, you know losing weight or getting fitter is also something that people are very vocal about so then yeah. they used to bring in others and i'm seeing that happen now with my wife neha as well the second piece is probably is communities so even if you don't have a great product yet you're still building on it if you have a very good vision it is helpful to form a good set of community around you that gives you natural SEO, organic traffic, and gives you, uh, the, you're able to utilize that community towards uh, purposes, right. uh, even though there is, are unintended. In our case, the community we had built, interestingly, was a slightly orthogonal to the current business. It was the 100 rupees a day community. Uh, we were living on the average Indian income and the poverty line. In fact, before we started Healthify, that was a passion experience project that we had done for a month. Mm. And while we 
well, we were living on that. We talked about it, blogged about it. It become quite viral. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who were watching and viewing that blog. And we had a set of passionate people who were observing it. And, you know, when we initially put out our, uh, our Healthify website for free out there for people to start tracking their nutrition and fitness, etc., it, it became at least one way. We had a certain set of people who we could evangelize it to. Right. Um, and uh, and so that really helps to have to have a build a community who are also following whatever vision that you're following is helpful. I've seen that strategy work out much better for other early stage companies out here, um, you know, in India, even in health and fitness. I think our com- one of the people in the industry, Ultra Human, another one called The Whole Truth, um, you know, these are again other health and fitness companies. I think they're doing a fantastic job by building and creating communities for the vision, even though they're sort of you know, pre-scale of any meaningful sort, but they are having a fantastic community that they have created. Yeah. So I, I, so that's the second one. Um, you know, and, and the third thing is, is, is frankly, is, is, uh, is hustling. So not giving up, trying out various strategies. I mean, when it was B2B partnerships, I remember in the early days, uh, trying to meet doctors, um, you know, was important for us. And I would come up with all kinds of nifty ways, you know, right from booking a consultation for a, for a diabetologist and going to that room and being, I don't have diabetes, but I want to talk to you about this. Now that I have 15 minutes of your attention, can we engage on it? Right. So things like that and, and others. So hustling is also important. So I would say hustle, try and various things, build a community, get the referrals, um, start to get the referrals working out there. And within that combination somewhere, I think magic happens. I'm not here to talk about the more obvious things like you know have a good content strategy seo strategy etc i think your all the listeners would already be trying for that and building for that but right. yeah these were the three things that i think worked for us and i thought i'd communicate the same that last piece where you spoke about community i couldn't agree more with you on that and i noticed today that you're wearing um the ultra human ring if i'm not wrong unless that's an aura ring that's on your finger um it could be wow. one of okay it could be the one of the uh, no, no. So this is uh, this is actually an aura ring as we okay. speak, um, and uh, this is for the this is for tracking my sleep. Um, right. I've been an early aura user for a long time, and I and I love sort of gauging and understanding how my sleep patterns are. But yeah, I think communities are important. Are important. So I, I just noticed that, and you were talking about community building. Aura's done a great job with it. I'm wearing a Whoop. And uh, I remember Will Ahmed, um, the CEO of Whoop, back in the early days when he was in college, actually um, trying to build out communities. When the when he went started out building a wearable device and really going going out there and speaking to that initial set of customers and making sure that that whole experience really brought on the early set of adopters who eventually became, as you said, evangelists and advocates of the company. And that is so important in hit wellness and health is one of those community driven. Um, you know, industries, it's, if I do well, I want to be one of those people who says, Hey, look at me, I'm, I'm doing well. Like it's, yeah. it's, it could be workouts. It could be just your overall health. It could be just overall wellness. And if there are ways to like track it and show to people, you definitely want to do that. That's just gives you a yeah. lot of like social kickbacks. And uh, I think, yeah, social kickbacks is great. You know, like I was also engaging with one of the other players in our speech called Fitter and even their founders talking about how in the early days they started yeah. just doing a lot of good. Um, basically, they created a Facebook group and started answering questions um, and uh, started to help out. So I think engaging with people who resonate with your problem, yeah, adding value to them by content and by genuinely helping out and doing good out there are both very helpful tools 
you know, then of course, once you get the only issue is sometimes customers may misguide you. Like for example, if you go after too aspirational an audience, they'll they'll get you to build a product that eventually won't scale. Right. Or you go after too low and massy an audience, they will never give you an aspirationality. So getting that balance is also important, but that's really the second order. Um, you know, what you want to do is get your product out there as early as possible. And even before your product, start engaging with people who resonate with the problem that you do as early as possible. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice for a lot of founders. And, uh, you know, moving the conversation along, you know, you've, we talked about, you know, the early days of the company. And I want to like talk about when the company actually raised, uh, its first round of capital could be from angels, could be from early investors as well, institutional ones. Um, you know, oftentimes startups are measured by how much money they've raised. And it's more important to actually ask how efficiently those companies use the capital. And efficiency doesn't really mean penny pinching, but instead finding entrepreneurs and businesses who orient that business model around technology or instead have a business model that is intrinsically more efficient at multiplying capital. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the early days when you raised the first round. And the reason I ask that is because we have founders who have and who have not raised capital. And how does life of a founder really change when that capital comes in? Because today, a lot of people think that I've raised funding. This is like a huge success. But no, the real work actually starts when you raise that first round. The pressure of actually building the company sets in then. And you really start feeling that external pressure for the first time as a founder. I've been on both sides of the table where it's happened. And I can relate to that, but I want to hear from your experience. You've raised multiple rounds uh, over the years and more recently a larger round uh, itself in 2021. So talk to me about those experiences <clears throat> and the kind of, I wouldn't say bad pressure, but it's just good pressure. It's like good to have, you know, knowing that, you know, there's this external force that is now motivating you. Not that you needed extra fire in your belly, but now you have stakeholders to hold accountable, uh, who are holding you accountable to certain things. So how does that change the life of an entrepreneur? I think the questions, Akash, getting me to introspect quite a lot and give some honest replies here. Totally agree. Um, You know, especially the first time, as a first time founder, when you're raising a serious amount of capital, life is very different. I think as a second time founder, I would treat that both that milestone as well as that capital differently. But as a first time, I thought, yes, it is overwhelming. Yes, it gives you a sense of tremendous achievement, social validation and your self-validation, right, that you were able to uh, raise this capital. You can uh, you can actually start paying people, including yourself and others. So I think all of those are also they give you a huge sense of achievement and relief. But at the same time, I think all of that is very overrated. And especially as a first time founder, I think uh, all of that kind of I, I think you 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 overrate them yourself as well. You know a little bit. I think what is the really the hard work uh, becomes harder then because now that you have. Um, you know, now that you have capital, you have more accountability or trackability, you have to deploy it, you have to deliver results, and you're also on a, you know, you're also on a, uh, on some sort of a, you know, path where you have to, I wouldn't say treadmill, but you're on a path where you're, you have to then, you know, kind of after a certain amount of time, pick up your next round and then the next one after that, right? So you're kind of on this growth path that you have to keep on managing investors and in their ecosystems with. So it's a pretty it really jacks up the intensity in the business, in my view. Yeah. The good news is that it allows, it's a lever that allows you to add team members. It gets you access to good boards. It gets you access to much higher levels of growth that was possible earlier on. Mm. So, um, 
you know, I think your question was, how do you design the company for good, efficient use of that capital? Is yes. that the specific one? Yeah. I think at that time, you know, it's a, unfortunately, I don't have a, a straight answer for that. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's easier for me to reflect on that answer, say, in a post-CDC world. Mm. There are enormous mm. monometrics that you can start to really chisel out at that time, you know, payback periods of your capital, of your marketing spend, when you're spending, how fast are you making it back? Yeah. What's your lifetime value for customers? How good are the repeats coming in into the various business lines or the product lines that you have? Um, you know, and, and, and continue to focus on that. And how much of the capital are you allocating for longer term innovation in a year? Mm. Um, what are the kind of teams that are focused on things that will add value beyond this year versus tactically focused and finding the balance within that? Mm. But those are really later stage conversations. I think at the Series A or B round, it's a blend. And I think a good board will allow for that. You know, at an A-ish round place, I think you have to, um, you can over-engineer trackability and growth. Um, because at that stage, really, you're trying to find a good product market fit. So I think staying foolish a little bit um, is a good idea, in my view. Uh, or staying nimble enough, even when you don't have clear answers on capital efficient allocation, I think it's okay. So it'll be good to start having some element of a PMF that you're spending money. So if you're bleeding a lot of money, the payback periods are three years, you know, and, and north of that, it probably doesn't make sense to continue to invest growth capital there. You probably want to focus on building a good product that is having good virality, good referral networks, etc. organic pieces. You want to you want to build and be in the uh, development mode on those lines uh, where you're seeing very efficient paybacks, sub 12 months, et cetera. You probably want to spend capital to grow it, even at that level. But in my view, you should be keeping enormous amount of capital, maybe majority of it, especially at an A stage and, and certainly at a seed stage, probably 90% of the capital for just development and experimentation. Because, mm. um, you know, you might have found some quick win somewhere, but then you'll miss the boat somewhere else. Right. You know, so in our case, um, you know, in our series seed round, I think post seed round, we found very good clicks on the corporate side of the business. B2B it was easy. Yeah. It was efficient, very efficient use of capital. But a much more interesting space was emerging, which was our B2C channel. Mm. In fact, our pre-series A, our B2B was almost 60% of our revenues or 50% of our revenues and was very efficiently payback channel scalable. We didn't know it back then. We were pretty foolish. We were excited to build a consumer company and we were seeing much better consumer traction, but not enough revenues coming there. Yeah. You know, today we're doing $50 million run rate, 90, 95% is B2C, right? At a post-series C world. And, uh, and then this we won't have discovered unless we had continued to invest longer term conviction on our B2C piece, even though it didn't show immediate financial results. So can't over-engineer it. But at the same time, doesn't make sense for you to be completely blind about where the allocation is going. I would say the earlier stage you are, focus on longer term investments and bets, take risks, focus on product and how much consumers are loving it. That whole referral, that whole virality, the whole you know, fundamental development of how good your service or your product is. As you keep growing through later and later stages, I think boards and investors will want to see greater and greater uh, financial paybacks, uh, returns, et cetera, et cetera. Current market here and now is a bit skewed. I'm seeing that my very early stage portfolio companies are also being asked LTV, CAC and payback periods. And I'm like, these guys are, they have a presentation right now. It's not a product even. It's a good team. So I think the investors have skewed a little in that direction. I would advise good founders to not let that bother them. 
the right kind of investors will still back good products and teams. Um, and it'll take them some time to understand and uh, click on to good PMFs and then scale yeah. that. I have a follow-up question here and I kind of know the answer to this question, but I'm still going to ask it from a point of being foolish. Now, there's a lot of luck, fortune, whatever you want to call it, involved in a journey of an entrepreneur and his or her company. 100%. Now, in, in, in yours, how much would you allude that to the pandemic? Because what really happened in that Black Swan event was that it really, for the first time, awakened a lot of consumers and made them introspect about their own lifestyles. And that might have been a huge change for you. And you might, you may have seen a lot of uptick during that period, which you have now been able to double down on, both from a product standpoint, marketing standpoint, and retain those customers and actually show them the value of the product. So how much did that really change the course and journey of the business as opposed to perhaps when it wouldn't have, maybe it probably didn't have the pandemic. It's hard to like reflect on the latter part, but maybe the former is more relevant. You know, Akash, I've been, been doing it for about 10 or 11 years. Yeah. Um, and we've seen, we were early for the market. We were the first mover. We were poorly yeah. timed. Um, that meant we had to have a longer perseverance journey. Yeah. We didn't, we couldn't start kicking in revenues until our fifth year. We didn't raise a series A until our sixth year. But in the last five years, you know, we've gone, we've raised $150 million and $100 million, $150 million. And, uh, you know, we're throttling towards a $100 million run rate by the year end, et cetera. So, so you, you have to wait for the right growth to happen. Mm. In my view, give the, the context I wanted to, the reason I'm saying all of this is because when you have a, when you have the horizon of these many years and you've seen multiple events happen through that. Yeah. I, I don't think. Personally, I don't think that good companies, good founders, good products, uh, you know, black swans or other kind of swans events really matter too much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to those who are questioning on whether they made the most of it or did they miss the boat, to those who are questioning that, you know, that whole, you must chance dance karna hai or you must make most of the opportunity immediately. You know, I think those add good Phillips, those add good tailwinds during that time, for mm -hmm. sure. But I don't think they're game changers. If you don't have a great product yeah. solving the customer's needs in the long run, it's going to come and bite you. Okay. Or if you don't have a good business model, you're wasting too much money in the end, it's going to come and disrupt your business and mm -hmm. your competition will take over. Um, I think what you can do with some of these events, however, is that it does give you some tailwinds and you can use that opportunistically for certain things. In our case, those tailwinds were highly efficient growth available because spends globally were down. We could afford to spend money and this was an area where people were interested in. So we could afford to acquire customers very efficiently yeah. that allowed us to enhance our community, allowed us to raise a very large CDC and allowed us to, you know, uh, have enough capital that then propelled even deeper innovation. Right. So, you know, with, through pandemic, we've crafted our products such that it's, it's integrates with continuous glucose monitors, the, Internet of Things, smart scales, metabolic panels. Uh, we made most of where industry changed because of pandemic. Like blood testing became so efficient and cheap in India at home that we could afford to integrate that as part of our service design. Right. Um, you know, and we went we went IoT first because a lot of people were at home and were playing and experimenting with things that they could utilize. Um, so we made use of that time to innovate, grow, acquire. In my view, you know, even if pandemic wasn't around, we probably would have ended up doing those anyway. Right. Um, it just might have taken us a year extra time yeah. um, 
you know in which we which we were able to supercharge i think you made a fantastic point there which connects to the previous point that you had made a few minutes ago where you said a lot of these companies in general when they're building need to set aside that cash to develop product and r&d right you were able to do that during the pandemic you act, you just said that you said we insta yeah. and you 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 were put on lessons to use actually if you actually think about it right and that's the part that i really enjoyed the most is you were putting into uh, in, into practice things that you were, had learned yourself and that's the fact that you are able to use that r&d capital be ready for innovation and then go ahead and innovate faster than anybody else out there and then see the results of it come out on the other side and know that today yeah sure there were a couple of black swan events in the last decade that could have propelled companies in certain directions but you need to be ready even when that happens to take that um and really use that momentum to charge your company if you aren't ready like even if the pandemic you know it happened and you weren't ready infrastructurally or you didn't have that capital you didn't have the right people around you you wouldn't have been able to seize that moment and goes yeah. to show that the team was ready for it one way shape or form and um, brings me i think entrepreneurship this- is is about seizing each moment yeah like every yeah. quarter there is some sort of a swan event happening believe it yeah. or not in some community on some systems right it's yeah. about here and now how can i make best time best utility of our time and resources and you continue to do that and you know uh, the more in fact whenever volatility increases i think it's a great time for entrepreneurs because if you don't have a, you know if you don't i think airbnb did a good job there others did a good job during this time if you don't have enough revenue come in focus on product if you don't have you know so you utilize and make the most of the time that you have at that time right and uh, and in case also we are unable to make uh, also not to sweat about it too much in sense yeah. that you know i think good companies outlast Uh, smaller events uh, for sure yeah no uh, to add to that the best founders are able to seize the moment not so best founders are able to reflect reflect back on that moment and be like if only i could have done things a little differently and that's where i think yeah. it's a lot of people apart from from just the other general herd and um, to that question or uh, to that point there i want to make this um, next i want to pose this next question to you, you know, I, i i hate interrupting you but there is one example of what you know of i think again following your heart focusing on community doing good etc that even reflected during the pandemic as well it was not any time near it's not going to bring any near time revenues to us but we started something called vaccinate me the mm. whole idea was that um, you know it was important to get india vaccinated yeah and the government of india just opened up its apis for vaccinations and slots our team was able to integrate that into our app within 3 days very quickly mm. and then we started notifying people of their vaccination slots yeah and you know universe conspired in a beautiful way to help us also because the way the best way to notify customers was actually via whatsapp comms um and you know when we reached out to vinod who was at that time kosla who was you know quickly was was about to invest into healthify he connected us with uh, with mark zuckerberg who connected us with sheryl sandberg and whatsapp they bro zero rated our whatsapp comms for a year wow and within the three within the three four months of the critical you know india second wave and people literally dying on in hospitals etc yeah. we through our infrastructure the government of india and meta's help we were able to help vaccinate 25 million people wow um and we generated enormous amount of goodwill that really yeah. lasted us through pandemic and accelerated our growth prospects even further even though yeah. we didn't have a direct um there was no direct monetization there's a lot of indirect brand and goodwill creation from our community right um so 
another example of you know staying close to the customers and doing good for them is always going to come back it will um, in a phenomenal way it doesn't matter the scale or the times that you're in uh, yeah. it doesn't matter what kind of an opportunity it is one should seize every opportunity you can get i agree and i know as a founder you have other metrics that you need to be proud about but i think this is something that while it may not mean a lot to your stakeholders it really brings a lot more um you know value to what you've created with the vaccination and saving millions of lives as opposed to just you know getting people healthier with their their lifestyles i think this is a bigger achievement for the larger organization including yourself so kudos to you and the team on doing that and there's this beautiful quote about company building that i love which goes something on the lines of the role of the ceo in the early days is that of a doer and the later stages is all about becoming the best and the most efficient enabler in the organization i'm curious to understand which one did you relish the most and perhaps an extension to that which is the harder of the two um great question again um you know i'm a i'm a born doer um right. so i i love doing things you know as much as i can yeah. um that's something that i relish more even today give me a give, give me a task and a challenge and maybe go after it i always would love it right the challenging piece was indeed to transition from that to being an enabler or to and it takes a lot of patience to when you see a problem staring in your face to not and that urge to go and solve it yeah. but to take a step back and think about why is this problem existing what team structures are currently not in place or what use of capital is not in place so that this problem is or culture is not in place that this problem is existing in the first place yeah. and if i had to solve solve it strategically not just for this problem but for every such problem that will come into the future how do i enable the right set of cultural team people and resources such that it can be mitigated so that you know every time you see a problem now my brain starts thinking in that direction and that is a honestly a complex thing to solve it is and um, and it is also frustrating because you know that within an hours of your time you can probably go out there and solve it tactically but to solve it strategically and to solve it in the long run it will take you days if not weeks um to enable and orient the organization differently learning from that as an example um so yeah i mean i relish the quick feedback loop loop and the flow that tactically as a doer things that you can solve for but i think the larger challenging higher returns investment of your time as a leader stage ceo is all about enabling is all about you know thinking it from a culture and an organization perspective that's fantastic to hear and i don't think i've ever come across a founder who's said that they don't enjoy doing things they even in spite <laughs> of you know being unicorn founders raising this x amount of capital scaling companies to upwards of 1000 people they still say i'm more of a doer at heart than just an enabler and enabler is something that i've gotten good at over the years but give me a chance and i'll go back and still do things and i just love that and the fact that that really goes to show how entrepreneurs are true at heart that they are problem solvers at the end of the day and an extension of that question and i i, I brought this up when i was speaking to manish tanija of purple and um, you know this is one question that kind of like always stays in my head and i i'd love to like find out as an extension to this question as well how do you deal with tough decisions as a founder and what is your framework to just deal with the hardest decisions it could be laying people off sometimes it could be you know making sure that you make those tough decisions where you probably end a partnership with somebody that you work long term uh, from a business point of view or it could be something else where you decide not to bring an investor on board 
provide prorata rights to certain people who you who've been really helpful in the early days these are very decision, tough decisions that an entrepreneur needs to make at some point of time during his or her uh, journey how do you deal with it how do i deal with it or how do i prepare myself to take that decision both the framework how do you initially one deal with it and what's the framework for your decision making in general i think probing for conviction helps broadly speaking mm-hmm. um you know so if you have to and in most of the difficult conversations are people this the people yeah. decisions some have to do with investor decisions etc mm-hmm. i think uh, probing and building good conviction really really helps you know and and if you like if you're and 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 once you get a good amount of conviction then i think generally speaking one is quite comfortable right. in driving those you know so i think of me personally i find a lot of conviction when i speak to customers so i'm trying to make it as a habit of speaking to at least a customer every day mm. um you know and uh, and once you're speaking to enough number of customers you usually have your answers right uh, your your conviction right and i think customers have a way of aligning the whole organization as well so alignment of organization people decisions are very nicely driven by customers Mm-hmm. um second is again talking to the ecosystem really helps as well you know other founder friends other advisors other mentors etc because you can learn from similar situations that they have been and or realize that you're not the only stupid person who's thinking of this there are others as well who are in the same boat who are making those difficult decisions and it's perfectly normal and acceptable to make that difficult decision therefore um you know of conversations like layoffs etc for example it's good to know other founders who have been in similar situations and why and how they are dealing with it their mm-hmm. rationales etc it's good to get that inputs in um and i think the third is is finding self conviction now the self conviction is the hardest one because you're not really looking at any data points from your customers or from your um founder friends or from partners you're really probing deep within about your own intuitive decision making and uh and you're really thinking through why your intuition is pointing you in that direction yeah. i think founders i don't know it's a balancing act between judging your intuition versus staring at facts um i would highly encourage and advise founders to trust their intuition a lot more than facts um because their intuition has been honed by thousands of not tens of thousands of hours of actual work in that space right um saying no to investors for example the uh, if you have to is an intuitive decision uh, more than anything else and you know you're judging many variables that you're not cognizant of mm. sometimes you can't articulate why you wanting to make some decisions but if you feel like you need to you should there is a you know there is this incredible guy uh, multiple time founders is one of the only i'm forgetting his name right now madam silicon valley on the other coastal ventures one of the rare guys who's built two unicorns one after the other you'll know his name um if, if only i remembered him but at coastal ventures summit he said this really fantastic statement uh, which i think i'll end my long speech with um if there is doubt there is no doubt so <laughs> you know and i think that helps in making those decisions um oh, yeah and um, you know and 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 i think dealing with the consequence of that i think it's fine you know once because because once you've taken that decision with good conviction usually yeah. there are no regrets uh, i by the way i i i highly believe that it is a founder you make half your judgments are wrong half of them are mistakes moving fast is important uh, is another friend of mine who told, made this amazing statement is that you know uh, startups make mistakes and yeah. and founders make mistakes and it's important to be aware of that 
So there is no point in, um, in my view, at least in looking back and having any regrets or feeling apologetic about any decision you've done. You did it to the best of your ability. Move yeah. forward. That's fantastic. It reminded me of one of the quotes that um, Ketan, um, Ketan Patel of M-Swipe mentioned on the podcast. And this is again in my top five quotes of the podcast, right? The one that you made right now. In that he said, he spent 18 years at Kotak and he said, I was entitled to making one mistake. And he goes on to say that his friend told him that Ketan, you'll never know whether those 18 years were a mistake or not. Yeah. So it's something on those lines wherein you go to go with the, your intuition. It's just, you know, the time spent or the the fact that you have uh, sunken costs sometimes might really not be the best way to deal with certain situations. And I want to end the episode with one of my favorite questions, um, typically that I ask founders. If you were to advise yourself, you know, you've given a lot of fantastic advice to other founders today. But if you were looking back in time and advising yourself, what would you tell yourself about getting and embarking on this journey? Like, what do you know today that you wish you had known back in the day when you started your company? You know, if I if I had known everything back in the day about what it will take to build this company, I probably wouldn't have started up. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to go back and tell me about yeah. what it will really take. Um, yeah. But I think the few things I would want people to be more um, aware of when they're starting is that it's a long journey. Right. It's going to take 2x or 3x the time. Uh, it's going to take you know, 2x the capital and 3x the time of your wildest projection mm. to get to where you ideally wanted to. Like if you say that, man, under no circumstances can this take me more than three years, under no circumstances will I need more than $50 million, chances are that you'll end up needing $100 million and it'll take you six years, Thanks. you know, uh, to get to the same point. So yeah. just be aware of that. You know, mm. I was reading recently about that famous... Um, uh, you know, one of the one of the few famous generals was caught in the World War II uh, camp, and uh, and you know he was one of the few guys who made it alive in a prison of war camp. And then one of his, his hacks or the tricks was while others felt that you're going to be home back in Christmas, you know he he told himself that that wasn't going to be a reality. Mm-hmm. He's going to be back much later. You know that there's no help coming. So I think being aware of the I think while while we're all all entrepreneurs by definition are forever optimists, yeah, it's important to note that it's going to take a long time and a lot of capital. And yeah. once you internalize that, I think then generally you'll be a lot calmer in mm-hmm. driving decisions. So that's something I would have told myself as well. Um, then and the and the um, you know the second thing I think I would have told myself is to. Um, is to always stay close to the ground and close to the customers. I think particularly in the pursuit of, once you get capital in the A and the B time, right? You start to sh- retreat from the front lines. Yeah. Um, and while it's important to do that, it's also equally important to stay close to the front lines. I mean, you have to kind of get back on the front line every episode now. Um, I was giving the team an example of how when Mr. Oberoi used to visit the Oberoi Group's hotels, one of the first mm-hmm. things he would do is go stand at the front desk for an hour before he started any meeting. I think that was such a great ritual to create. And I think, you know, I was at a founders group, bunch of Series B founders, eight of us, we all rated our strengths and our weaknesses. The thing that stood out commonly as the as the highest weakness was that we weren't close to the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the A's and the B's, it's many founders would retreat from front lines as many other dares get baked in and you're thinking more strategy. Yeah. Um, 
it's important to be close to front lines. Uh, we've changed that in the last uh, you know few quarters, and I wish I had done that back in the day itself and never retreated from that. I think we would have built a better company that was even more efficient. Okay. So yeah, it's going to take time. Stay close to the front lines. That will always give you motivation to do the right thing yeah. um, and convictions to take difficult decisions. Um, and I and I think yeah, that's that's probably what I would have told uh, myself as well. Tushar, I don't think there's a better note to end the episode on. You have given us some golden nuggets of information, insights from your own journey building great a great company, and most importantly, I've just enjoyed the honesty and humility in your in your story. And I think that really stands out. And um, I walk away from this episode, this conversation, extremely enlightened by your experience, motivated, inspired to do whatever it is that I want to do. But I think it's just been a great conversation. And whenever I, I hope whenever somebody listens to it or I go back and keep listening to it, I think I'm going to be inspired. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here and sharing everything that you've learned so far about company building um, here with us on the show today. Thanks, Akash. And uh, to you, as well as to all the listeners, I just want to wish everybody the best. I think um, it takes a different mindset to go out there and actually do something. Um, and um, and I just hope more people did it. The joy, I can just tell you this in last summary lines, is that I think the last 11 years, the joy far outweighs the pain um, by an orders of magnitude. Um, it doesn't matter if the times were difficult or the times were good. Funding was there or funding wasn't there. Um, I think the overall joy of pursuing what you want to pursue, the freedom that it gives you, is truly remarkable. So, and you know, personally, I don't think I'd ever go back to a job ever again in my life, regardless of the consequences. Yeah. And uh, and I hope that people are able to take that leap. I made a song about it recently called Urjare, which I've re- which I've released, giving a little shout out to that song. Um, and it's all about taking the leap. So I hope more people take the leap and uh, find their conviction. I'm going to put that song in this episode so uh, all of our listeners are <laughs> able to awesome. listen to it. It's on Spotify. You can take a look. Well, unfortunately, everybody, that concludes our conversation with Tushar Vashisht, the visionary CEO behind Healthify Me. It's just been such an amazing episode. We got a chance to delve into Tushar's founding journey in building one of India's leading healthcare platforms at making the country healthier. We also learned about the validation process and how the team gathered feedback from early customers. He also shared his thoughts on the challenges of fundraising and the impact a black swan event like a pandemic can have on any business. He was also gracious enough to talk to us about the difficulties of building a company from the ground up and how to empower leaders within an organization. It was an absolute pleasure to have Tushar on the show and we hope you gained valuable insights from this conversation. And if you did, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show and most importantly, it keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases. Well, we've got another fantastic episode here lined up for you next week. So please make sure you tune back in again to see who we have And more importantly, the kind of insights that they can share from their own experience building and investing companies globally. So, until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.